as you guys know, a little over a year ago, we became a church of two campuses, right? We launched our downtown campus. And it's been really cool. It's been a cool journey to see what God is doing with both of our campuses. And probably the coolest thing for me is that I get to see firsthand how because of the addition of this campus, we as a church have begun to reach more and more people in Green Bay. That's been so cool to see. Like, we have reached people in Green Bay who we would never have reached if we would have only just stayed at Bellevue. We've, we've come to a new part of the city, and we're reaching new people because of it. And because of us being here, we have the opportunity to share our faith more and more. Now, incidentally, related to that, is we've been in this sermon series called Share for the last couple of weeks. And I, I just hope that as you've sat here for the last few weeks and have begun to think about the idea of sharing your faith, that you would realize, that you would internalize the idea that sharing your faith is something that's supposed to be integrated into your life. In other words, the paradigm shift for us is that evangelism or sharing your faith is not an event. It's not an activity that you just complete from time to time. It is intentionally and relationally living a lifestyle of drawing close to others and in the course of doing so, revealing the hope that you have because you follow Jesus. That's the picture of evangelism. Now, can I just admit something to you? I actually love this idea. I love the idea of sharing my faith with others. But my admission to you is that this piece or this part of my faith has always been something that's very difficult for me. It's always been something that's been hard. And it's interesting because you're like, well, you're a pastor. You talk to people about Jesus all the time. Well, it's different when you're in the church and everyone's expecting you to talk about Jesus than it is to just some guy in the street who you don't know, right? Or even to your friends and family. And so it's always been something that's really difficult, whether it was street evangelism, which training to become a pastor and being involved in all sorts of ministries, I was forced to do over and over again right? Like they send you out and you have to tell somebody about Jesus. I always felt awkward. It was always hard for me. And, um, or it's this idea of just even sharing Jesus in your workplace, right? Like they, you are supposed to be sharing, um, you're supposed to be sharing your faith with people who you work with. And I used to work in a trust company and that was hard even there because it was like, you know, what if I say the wrong thing? Or what if I come off as really weird or really awkward? And, and so it's always something that I've really struggled with. And I think of a lot of that stemmed from believing that I wasn't doing it right. You know, like, I'm not going to say the right thing. Or I was worried that would offend somebody. Or maybe it was just that it seemed pushy or forced. And I didn't want to force what I believed on somebody else. It could be a combination of all sorts of those things. But the reason I tell you that the reason why I stand up here as a pastor and say to you that it's difficult for me is because I know that I'm not the only one. I know that there are a lot of you in the room who find it very difficult to share your faith. And it's a hard thing to talk about in our culture. And some of us just, if we're honest, we just don't like doing it. And it's really difficult. But I also want to encourage you. And the same goes for me, that even though that this is hard, even though it's uncomfortable, even if it's awkward, it doesn't change the fact that God has called us to do it. You know, God calls us to uncomfortable and difficult things all of the time. And so if it doesn't feel like you to share your faith, I'm sorry, that doesn't let you off the hook. God is still calling you to obedience to him. 
He's still calling you to live out the life that he's called you to live. And there's this great passage in the New Testament from 2 Peter 1.3, and it says this, By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. In coming to know Jesus, you have received everything you need in order to live the life that God has called you to live. And do you understand that God has called you to be a person who shares the gospel with the world? And so God has called you to this thing to share your faith with other people, but he's also given you everything you need in order to do that. And so this morning, I want to present to you two things. I want you to catch this vision that you are a follower of Jesus and that you have been blessed by God specifically for the reason to bless others with the hope that you have. And number two, I want to give you a simple tool that will help you, no matter who you are, understand and implement a simple plan to share your faith as an ongoing lifestyle. So before we jump into the word of God, will you pray with me? We're going to need God's help to be obedient in this area. Lord, you are so good to us. And the truth is, you call us to hard things. Lord, you didn't call us to just a lifestyle of comfort and pleasure and fun and things that don't challenge us. You call us to a life of obedience to Christ. And sometimes that means doing things that we don't feel like we're good at. Sometimes that means stepping out in faith and sharing sharing our, our faith with others even when it's hard, even when it feels awkward or embarrassing. Lord, you still call us to it. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us your abundant grace and mercy, that you would empower us this morning to understand that we are blessed to be a blessing, that you've given us this great salvation in order that we would share it with other people. Lord, we pray that you would help us this morning, convict our hearts, help us to change, help us to grow, help us to look more and more like Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bible or an electronic device, you can turn it to uh, Genesis chapter 12. Um, we're going to read a passage in there. Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 3. It'll also be on the screen, so you can follow along there. This is what it says. It's talking about Abraham, and it says that the Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless you, or I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt, and all the families on earth will be blessed through you. Did you know that the overarching theme, one of the overarching themes of the entire Bible, a thread that runs through the whole thing, is God intervening in human history to choose people who then he will bless in order to carry out his plan of salvation. He selects certain people to bless and use so that his ultimate plan of salvation can go forward. Just think about that for a second, because it contains a really amazing fact. God, in all of his wisdom, looks down on humanity and he chooses broken and sinful created human beings and he blesses them. In order to accomplish his perfect plan of salvation in Jesus Christ. That's really fascinating. And this is what the story of Abraham is all about. It's not like Abraham was the man who did everything right. It's not like Abraham was perfectly righteous in all of his ways. It's not like Abraham had it all together and so God selected and chose him in order to bless him 
that way. No, God just chooses him. Abraham is fairly normal from what we, we read, and he becomes wealthy because God blesses. He becomes famous. He prospers in all of his ways, and the, the whole nation of Israel comes out of Abraham. But God didn't just, he didn't just randomly choose some guy to bless in order to give Abraham a good life. Could you imagine that's like the Bible story of Abraham in the Old Testament? Like, and then God chose this guy Abraham and made him super wealthy the end. That would be super boring, right? Abraham wasn't just blessed and chosen by God for his own benefit. The story of Abraham is that God comes and he intervenes in, in human history to bless Abraham in order that he would be a blessing to all the families of the earth. God intentionally blesses people in order to accomplish his overall purpose of blessing the whole world. In other words, Abraham was chosen so that one day all the families of the earth would have, would have access to salvation in Jesus Christ. It, because it's from the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that the Messiah comes. And so Abraham was given so much, and it wasn't just for him. It was for the families of the earth to have this access of salvation. Now, can I tell you that that idea of being blessed to be a blessing is actually an idea that chafes against our current culture. It's one that actually, that just is one that we can't really wrap our minds around very well because in our current cultural context, the world has become increasingly about how I can get mine, right? Like we don't look at blessings as a way to bless others always. Often we look at blessings as just for us. Let's be honest. We look out for number one. We do it with everything. We do this in all areas of our life. Think about marriage for a second. Marriage, for instance, has become increasingly about what my spouse does for me or how they make me feel rather than a commitment before God based on a foundation of sacrificial love. Often our jobs are not always about contributing to what God may be doing in our workplace or contributing to the common good of society, but our jobs often become just a means in order for us to have the life that we want to have. Like, our jobs are often about us getting money so that we can do the things that we want to do. Church, even, is about what it's doing for me and my spiritual fulfillment. Instead of how I can labor and sacrifice to build up God's kingdom here on earth, if the church doesn't check all the boxes I want, I just try to find a new one, right? And find one that does. The point is, is that our default attitude is that when we're blessed, we believe that blessing is just for us. That's our human default attitude. We are blessed for ourselves. But my question this morning is, what if? What if, just like Abraham, God has blessed you, not just for you? What if God has blessed you to be a blessing to others? What if your great salvation that you have in Jesus Christ, what if that's not just for you? What if God granted you faith in the circumstances of your life in order that he could continue to bring his plan of salvation to other people around you? What if you are included in God's plan of evangelism? What if you're part of it? Romans 10, 13, and 14 says this, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a great promise. But it goes on and it says this, How can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless somebody tells them? Listen, 
We all need to catch this vision that God has chosen us like Abraham, that he has blessed us with this great salvation, and that these eternal blessings were never meant for just us. We are blessed to be a blessing. God has actually placed you in your family, in your neighborhood, your job, your gym, the places you shop, everywhere you go, in order to be salt and light to this world. You are supposed to be the light of the gospel to people around you, to tell other people about Jesus. God's plan for salvation for this world includes your participation. How can other people hear about the Lord unless you tell them? I prayed this whole week. These last two weeks, I've been praying that our church, the body of Christ, would embrace this understanding. That we would, we would know deep down inside of us that God has called us and he's given us this salvation. If we follow him, he's called us not just for us, but he's called us to bring the gospel to the ends of the world. And honestly, if I were to be honest, I, I think we already know this. I think a lot of us already know this. Like, we know this intellectually, that we're actually called to do this. And a lot of us know we're supposed to be sharing our faith, but still we feel stuck. And it's easy to feel stuck. In our culture, we're told over and over again from the time we're really little, you do not talk about religion or politics, right? Unless we're on Facebook, right? But you do not talk about religion or politics. And so when we're in a private setting with people, we don't think to share our religion with somebody. We don't think to share that thing because it's kind of considered rude in some sense. But we are called to do it. We are called to bless to be a blessing. And so I want to spend the rest of our time outlining a simple plan that you can implement in your life that will help you with this. Something that you can wrap your mind around as a way to have a lifestyle of sharing your faith. And so it's all based on this um, acronym called BLESS, B-L-E-S-S. Each letter stands for something. This first one is begin with prayer. Begin with prayer. First, pray for them. Pray for who needs to hear the gospel. Now, sometimes as we as Christians, we tend to treat prayer like essential oils, okay? Um, we're not sure whether this or that prayer is going to—we're not sure what it's going to do— but it's got to help somehow, how, so we're just going to throw it on there, right? Like, people do this with essential oils. Like, oh, you got a scrape? Just put some lavender on it, right? Like, it's oil that's essential, and it's going to work, right? Oh, you're struggling with your job? Just throw some prayer on it. Like, just pray for it, okay? Um, and also, if you're like me, you might get a little skeptical about it. Like, I'm not sure that the peppermint oil that people give me in order to, like, cure my headache actually works um, sometimes, but... I'm also not sure that the prayer that I said helped my job. And so you're kind of like wondering, does this really work? I mean, people say that prayer works, but does it really work? Does prayer make a huge difference? And it's questions like that that make me really grateful for the word of God. And particularly the gospel accounts, which detail the life of Jesus. Because in the life of Jesus, we can actually look over the life of Jesus and we get to see the man of God, Jesus himself, God himself, the God-man, who is following God the Father perfectly in every area of his life. Have you ever thought about this? If we're Jesus followers, we can look at Jesus' life, and we can look at his life and understand what he thought was important, what he knew was important in order to follow God the Father. And we can look at his life, and we can say, uh, did Jesus prioritize this? Then I should prioritize this. 
did Jesus do this? Did, how did he spend his time? How do you do these different things? And that will give us an indication of how we're supposed to spend our time. And so the gospel accounts of Jesus are amazing source material for us. Because if we're his disciples, we can look at him and know how to interact with, with this world and how we're supposed to prioritize it. And so the question is, when it comes to prayer, how did the perfect man of God, how did Jesus, who followed God perfectly all the time, how did he treat prayer? Well, in short, if you read the gospel accounts over and over, we see that Jesus used prayer throughout his ministry to move forward through this world in perfect unity with the Father. In all the key times of Jesus' life, right before he goes into a key time of his life, Jesus spends time in prayer. And, and a really great example of this is Luke chapter 6. It says that in these days, he went out to the mountain to pray. And he continued all night in prayer to God. When it was day, he called his disciples. And from them, he chose 12, whom he also named apostles. Before Jesus chose the 12 disciples that he would use to reach the ends of the world with the gospel, the key people in his ministry, Jesus spends all night in prayer. The point is, is that if the Son of God, if Jesus himself had to rely on prayer in order to do the earthly ministry the way that God wanted him to, how much more do we need to, to rely on prayer in order to be ready to share our faith with others? If Jesus needed prayer, we need prayer. Prayer is an essential ingredient when it comes to blessing others with the good news of Jesus Christ. It's both how we accomplish this mission and it's how we discover the mission of sharing the good news. Let me put it this way. If you're like me and you can start to feel stuck about sharing your faith, if you feel like this is not something you do well, if you feel like this is something that you struggle with in your life, can I just suggest to you this morning that your first step is to begin to pray? Your first step is to begin to ask God to give you a desire to share your faith in the ways that he wants you to. Put, put an uh, alert on your phone. That every day at lunchtime, you would pray something like this. Lord, help me to know who those around me need to hear a message from you today. Lord, open my eyes to who needs to hear from you and give me the boldness and the courage to share my faith with them today. Start praying prayers like that because when you do that, God uses prayers like that to open our eyes to everyday opportunities that we have to share our faith with others. There's another aspect of prayer, though, and it's beginning to pray for those in your sphere of influence who, already, who you know already need Jesus. Like, we can all sit and think, like, there's people in my sphere of influence, there's people who are close to me who need Jesus. So everyone probably has somebody in that case. And so what Erica and I have begun to do is we've begun to intentionally pray for those people in our life. Before we go to bed every night, we pray for a family member who we know needs Jesus. And we pray, Lord, would you just please replace their heart of stone, their hardness of heart, with a heart of flesh? And would you give them the ability to hear and understand and respond to the gospel? And Lord, would you make us sensitive? Would you make us sensitive to the Holy Spirit to know how to love them in such a way to lead them to the gospel? We pray that every night. If you're stuck, please begin to pray that God would change that in you. You have to begin with prayer. And that brings us to the next missional practice. Listen to them. Hear their needs. I promise you that committing to listening to your neighbors and your family and your friends or even a stranger will definitely make you stand out among the rest of society. 
you will be seen as thoughtful and caring because our world does, doesn't just do this anymore. Giving people your undivided attention is like gold in our world. And as followers of Jesus, when we give people our undivided attentions, we should be asking a question in our mind the whole time as we're talking with people. We should be thinking this as followers of Jesus, um, where is God already at work in this person's life? We should be asking that question. And where can I come alongside of them and fulfill a need? The reason why, the reason why you should pray that when you're talking to someone is because you are not the Holy Spirit. We're not going to be able to just look at somebody and automatically know where that person is spiritually and what they need from God. We have to listen to them and discover that need. Let me give you an example of why this is so important. So when I was uh, trained to become a pastor at, in Chicago, uh, I was already a follower of Jesus at this time, and I'm walking down the street. And all of a sudden, I get to this group of students. They're my age. And they were a group of students that were out in Chicago evangelizing the city, which is really cool, okay? I loved it. It was so cool. They stop me, and they start telling me the gospel, which, thumbs up, awesome. I love that they're telling me the gospel. The problem was, is that they wouldn't let me get a word in edgewise, right? So here they are sharing the gospel with me, and I'm like, I'm trying to stop them, but they won't stop, right? We're like 15 minutes in, and I'm finally like, okay, just stop. Stop right there. And they think that I'm going to like yell at them. I'm like, I already know Jesus. Thank you. Like, let's do the hug thing. And you can move on to people who need to hear the gospel message, right? And so we, that's what happened. But, the, but as I thought about that, the, the thing is, is they messed up that day. And they messed up by not hearing the needs that I had first before sharing the good news with me. They, they didn't even care about where I was at that moment in my life. They just accosted me with the gospel, Right? And it's good. We need to share the gospel, but we also need to know the needs of those around us. Maybe God had a different assignment for them that day. Maybe they were supposed to encourage me and not share the gospel. Maybe God was going to do something different. But before you can share your faith with those in your world, you need to start discerning where God is working in their life. You know, the truth is you might share the gospel differently with a coworker who has just lost a loved one than a neighbor who's struggling with alcoholism. The core message is going to stay the same. It's the gospel. But you might take a different approach to each of those situations. You know, we're dealing with this question actually right now as a downtown campus. How do we best serve the people who come here every week? And, and when I say that, I mean like all the people, okay? How do we best serve all the people? Not just one group, but all the people who come down here every week. What do people who attend Spring Lake downtown need every week? And instead of assuming what we think people need, we need to do a better job of listening. Because when you sit down with people and you actually talk to them, if you were to go into the lobby afterwards and you're to mingle with everyone, you're to sit down with them and you were to talk to them, and you got past the service level, you would begin to understand that people don't always need something physical to fix their lives. They don't need the obvious problems fixed, and then everything's going to be perfect. It's often something much deeper. You know what people need who come into our building every week? You know what they need from us? People need the hope that we have. People need Jesus. And they need us to be Jesus to them. They need people to care about them, to talk to them, to pray with them. People need to know that they're heard, that they're accepted, that they're loved, that they're cared for. People want dignity. Do you understand that? People's greatest, deepest need is often that they need to feel valued. 
They need dignity. They need to know that they're worth it and that they're valued. And, and we, as the body of Christ, can give that to them. Of course, people will take the resources, the physical resources we have to offer them. And we should care about people practically. But ultimately, people need Jesus. And we need to be Jesus to them. And so my challenge to you is to commit yourself to listening to people in your life, particularly listen to people in your sphere of influence. Find out what needs they have and meet some of those needs, but also listen for the deeper needs and meet those needs as well. Share Jesus with them in that way. And that brings us to practice number three, eat with them. All right, I'm just going to go on record right now and say this is my favorite one, okay? Eat with them. Now, earlier I mentioned that Jesus' life was a great way to know what we're supposed to prioritize. We can look at his life and know how we're supposed to live. Well, did you know that as you look at Jesus' life, a, frequently, a frequent element that comes up over and over again is that Jesus would eat with people. In fact, one of the major things that people said against Jesus is that he was always eating with the wrong people, right? Everyone was saying all the time that, oh, look, there's Jesus. He's eating with those tax collectors and sinners, I mean, I don't know what's worse, a tax collector or a sinner, but they're all bad, right? And he's just, and everyone's giving him a hard time because he's eating with these people. And the reason why this was such a big deal was because, especially in the New Testament, was eating with someone was a statement that you wanted to be associated with that person. Eating with someone was an affirmation of that person's value and worth. Who you ate with was a statement of who you loved and cared about and who you considered to be part of your social class. Two weeks ago, we had Downtown Connect. There's a reason why we ate together. It wasn't because people needed to eat. It was because we wanted to communicate as a community that you are all, every single person in here, of value and of worth to us. That we are a community of believers together. And that we love those, even outsiders, we love those who come in amongst us. And so Jesus ate with people in order to reach them, but he also ate with them in order to show them that worth and that value. What we need to see in Jesus' life is that eating was not just something he did because people need to eat. In fact, eating was an integral to his mission of reaching and restoring the world. Jesus was a missional eater, right? And so I give you permission to be a missional eater. I give you permission to be a missional eater. You can go out and be a missional eater. Invite people over to your house and have a meal with them, right? Go out to lunch with somebody today and have a meal with them. Be a missional eater. I wish that was like a thing. Like, I wish I could join a missions organization where I was like, you're just a missional eater. You just like take people out and you share the gospel with them. Like, that'd be awesome. Well, that's kind of what a pastor does, I guess. So, I don't know. I, I probably already do it. But there's no reason why we can't do this. There's no reason why we can't do this. Use meals as a way to begin to bless people and show them your val their value and their worth. Some of my favorite and most significant ministry times have included meals with people. God just uses it in a unique way. Invite people to eat with you. Number four, serve. Do something for them. You know, one of the first things I learned as a minister and in training to be a minister was that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And the idea is that in order to influence people with biblical tr truth, you must first show them that you're for them that you are on their side, that you care for them. Imagine for a moment that you are sitting on your front porch, or I don't know, not everyone has a front porch anymore. You're just sitting in front of your house. And all of a sudden, um, the little old lady neighbor that you have in your neighborhood um, 
is walking down the street, and she's carrying a bag of groceries, right? And she's walking, and all of a sudden, her bag of groceries breaks, and everything falls onto your sidewalk, and a can of green beans is, like, rolling down your sidewalk, right? Now, would it be better for you to stand up on the chair on your porch and start screaming the gospel at her because she's stuck in front of your house picking up cans, or would it be better for you to walk down your stairs, walk over to her, and help her pick up the groceries? I think you know the answer. We always proclaim the gospel first, right? We always proclaim the gospel first. But in this case, proclaiming the gospel first means that you meet her immediate need in order to show her that you care. You know, sometimes we do this thing as Christians Our approach to evangelism and helping people know Jesus can feel like we're just standing on our front porch and we're yelling at people for their need for Jesus. And if we would just open our eyes, we would realize that in order for them to hear us, they have to know that we actually care for them first. They don't care about our message until they know how much we care for them. And and so we need to reach people in their need by by serving them first. Mark 10, 42 through 45, talks about Jesus and what he said to his disciples about serving. He said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. At the heart of what it means to follow Jesus is serving others. A lifestyle of realizing that you are blessed to be a blessing is one in which you identify the needs of others and you begin to help fulfill that need by serving them. And it doesn't have to be crazy, groundbreaking, all of the time in the world to do it. It can be just taking your snowblower an extra 50 feet in the winter and doing your neighbor's sidewalk. It can be stopping and talking to your neighbor when you're actually like really busy doing a house project or something and just hearing their needs and their concerns and offering to pray with them. It could be volunteering and helping your neighborhood in all sorts of different ways. There's all sorts of ways to help people. And my advice on this front is to purposely think about the people in your life who you spend the most time with and to start to listen to them and listen to them in a new way. Listen to them in a way in which you begin to identify the needs that they have and figure out how you can serve them. Instead of people having to come to you and say, "Uh, can you help me with this project or that project? Listen to the projects that they're doing and offer to help them. We've gotten away from that as a society. We don't care for each other the way we used to. We need to listen to people and to care for them and to be the ones that reach out. We need to serve them. That brings us to the last one, share your story. Now, I will willingly admit that this is the most difficult aspect of sharing your faith. Praying for someone and listening to them and eating with them and serving them, they all seem like pretty usual things that we would do as a nice person, right? But actually sharing Jesus in our culture can be really difficult. It can be intimidating. And there's all sorts of strategies I can give you. In fact, Jack talked about strategies last week, right? He put all sorts of things on on the board and he showed different ways in which we can reach people, and that is super helpful. You should have those things. You should have those tools in your pocket. But today, I want to share with you probably the most powerful tool that you have in order to share the gospel with somebody else. And it's all about your story. 
It's the story of how you came to know the gospel of Jesus Christ and how you gave your life over to him. The story of how you realized your need for Jesus and his work through his life and his death and his resurrection. The story of how you came to believe and trust him with your life. It's going to be the most natural and powerful way to share your faith. 1 Peter 3.15 says this, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. At any given moment, you and I should be ready as a Christ follower to share with someone the reason why we have hope in Jesus. You should be able to share that with another person. And an easy way to think about this is to share your story in three parts. Part one, what did your life look like before you came to know Jesus? What did your life look like before you came to know Jesus? And so I would share something like this. You know, before I came to know Jesus, I thought that life was all about getting the next best thing. In my life with Christ, I thought that life would be my best life ever, would be one where I have all of the money I need, where I have all the fame that I want, where I have all the respect and validation from people around me, that I had all the gadgets and technology and fun that I could have, that I was having fun all of the time. That was, that's what I thought was the best life now. But the thing that I found out is that as I lived that life and as I chased those things, I found those things to not fill me up for very long. Sure, they were fun in the moment, but right afterwards, I felt more empty than ever. Even the achievements that I had in my life, I felt like the more and more I achieved, the emptier and emptier it really was. And, and I left myself just feeling completely empty. And so you share what life looks like, a life of sin, a life of pursuing the things of this world before you come to know Jesus. And then number two, you would share what it looks like to come to know Jesus. And don't leave the details out of this part. And, and so I would say something like this. And so I'm following the ways of the world, and I'm trying to get filled up, and I'm trying to have this hope, this hope in this life, and all of it is empty. And so someone shared with me that the more and more I chase the things of this world, the more and more I chase sin and the things that I want in my heart, the emptier and emptier I'll be. And the only thing that's going to change that is faith in Jesus Christ. And so I realized that I was a sinner. And, and so I remember the moment that I realized that I ran to my bed and I jumped on my bed and I began to cry out to God and say to God, Lord, I know that I have sinned against you. I know my sin has separated me from you. I know the life that I'm living is empty without you. Lord, I pray that you would take my life. I give you my whole life. I believe in Jesus. I believe in the sacrifice on the cross. I believe in his resurrection. And I believe in the life that he has for me now. And so God, in his gracious mercy, he saved me. He saved me from the life of sin and emptiness that I was on. And, and, and then, then part number three, you're going to share what it looks like now that you've been following Jesus for a while. And so I would say something like this. And the crazy thing was that even though I was saved by Jesus, I still live in the world. And I still begin to chase those things. And so I find myself sometimes wandering. And, and this is the reality. As a follower of Jesus, it didn't make me perfect. I'm still a sinner. I'm still weak in my own sin, in my own flesh. And so sometimes I look at those things and I start, start to try to grab the wealth and the fame and all of those things. And I wander. And I find again that as I do those things, there's emptiness in them. But I still pursue them anyway. 
But God is so gracious to me in that he begins to draw me back to him. And I find that as I begin to fix my eyes on Jesus again, that he begins to show me the abundant life that he promised. God begins to transform me and change me. And I find that as I've gone in my life further and further, the closer and closer I get to Jesus, the less and less I want of the world. And I find that God is changing me and he's transforming me. And it doesn't mean that I never sin or I never, I never chase those things anymore. It just means that Jesus is always with me. That my ultimate hope is always him. That I know for all of eternity I have a place to be with Jesus. That's what it means now. And so you share your faith. Don't gloss over the details when you share your faith. I get so frustrated when I hear people share testimonies sometimes and they say something like, well, and then, you know, I just prayed this prayer and then I followed Jesus. You know, it's like Christian movies. You ever watch Christian movies? Every Christian movie ends with the person getting saved and then like happily ever after, right? That's not life. You have to share the details of how you came to know Jesus. How did you feel convicted? What was happening in that moment in your heart that you said, I'm a sinner and I need to give my life over to Jesus and his perfect sacrifice on the cross is what paid for my sin. You have to say those things to people because glossing over it and saying something really general is not going to lead them to salvation in Jesus Christ. You have to be able to share the gospel message within your story. Ultimately, it's not about you. It's about Jesus. Remember, you are part of God's plan to bless this world. We started with this. God has not blessed you with salvation in order just that you would have it for yourself. From the very beginning, God chose you in order that he can continue his plan of bringing salvation to this world. You are part of God's plan. You are the person in your sphere of influence, in your job, in your home, and all the people around you. When you go to the gym, you are the person that God has put there in order that you could be the light of the gospel to them. How are you doing that? Use bless as a way to begin to implement a lifestyle, not an event, a lifestyle of sharing the gospel with people. Let's pray. God, this is convicting because the reality is, is that if a lot of us are really honest, we just don't want to. If we were to just be really honest before you, we just find it weird. We find it awkward. We, we find it difficult to share our faith. And we feel like we're going to make our relationship with other people weird if we share it, especially people in our sphere of influence. And yet, Lord, I pray that you would put a greater desire in our heart. That you would put a desire in our heart that says, I want to be obedient to Jesus and to what he's calling me to do more than I care what people think about me. I want to be obedient to Jesus more than I care about the awkwardness and the tension and the stress of sharing my faith. Lord, I pray that you would put it in our hearts to live this out. And I pray that even if it's just small steps, that we would take those steps this week, that we would invite that friend, that coworker to lunch with us, that we would just begin to, to listen for people's needs, that we'd begin to actually hear people and see how we can come alongside of them to love them. Lord, I pray that you would help us to get past ourselves and to be obedient to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.